0: life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasures stored up in heaven when you're
1: through. You'll be set for life. Okay, for life. so in James 2, uh, part 2 actually that we're in, uh, James had been teaching us what the expression of true faith looks like, how to use faith properly. And he's still going through that. Uh, this also brings in Christian conduct, how we're supposed to behave. And already in chapter 2, he's told us that you cannot use faith with favoritism, is what he's built from in chapter 2. And James, his example was in how people would favor a rich man who walks into a church, but ask the poor man with ragged clothes To stand outside or stand aside or get down here and and dishonor him. And that hurts people. That causes division. And it'll cause people to run off from the church and never come back when we treat people with favoritism and bias. And so it's very unattractive to those who are hurting. They're just looking for peace. And this faith favoritism comes in many forms, such as, like I said, guys who will share the gospel only with pretty girls, (laughs) but not other people? It's favoritism. When you put favoritism in faith, James says that you judge people with evil evil thoughts, and it causes you to blaspheme the name of Jesus. You know, you can blaspheme the name of Jesus without cussing, and it's how you treat people. It's whether you dishonor them. It's for how you talk to your spouse. These same people ate these specific diets because they wanted to be clean. I said, you're defiling yourself already. With the way you talk to people, you're dishonoring. And so we don't want to blaspheme the name of Jesus. And most people think it's only profanity, like saying G.D. or or claiming to be God themselves. Oh, that's the only blasphemy there is. No, that's not the only blaspheming there is. Holding the faith of Jesus with partiality causes you to dishonor people with evil thoughts and you blaspheme Jesus' noble name by whom saved people are called. A poor man can be just as saved as a rich man. <laughs> And I'm thankful for that because I ain't rich. (laughs) And so that's the context that James has been building so far in James chapter 2. Now, we've got to leave from that thought process before we go into the next. So we want to keep it in the proper context. That's why I spent that much time on it. Now, remember how James, he liked to ask questions to make his point. He would ask a question to get you to think about a certain subject. Like he had asked in chapter 2 and verse 5, he had said, Has not God chosen the poor to be rich in faith? That was a question. Now James asks us another question. It is a rhetorical question, using figures of speech to communicate the idea. That's the way James is addressing and trying to convey information to us, by asking questions. So, in James 2 and verse 14, says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? That's a question. That is not a statement. (laughs) The reason I'm drilling that so hard is because I have had people debate the subject with me that it takes works to be saved, and they will go to that passage right there and say, look, it says, "Can faith save him?" See, Ray, it, it, it takes works and faith to save you. That's not what he said. That's a question. That is not a statement. It's a question. Now, at this point, when people are hear the question, "Can the faith save him?" people would, most people would tend to say, "No, that this uh, faith cannot faith uh, cannot save him." But the problem is that people like to spin off into making a case that you have to have works to be saved, and this is not true. Because Ephesians 2 stands in the way of that. You cannot make a scripture fight against another scripture. They have to agree. So when you have a theology that runs to the left and and another scripture stands in the way of that, says, no, you can't go this way, well then, you can't go that way. (laughs) So, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, We're going to debunk the whole, or let the word debunk the whole works issue. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9 says what? Not of works. Not of works. Burn that in your mind, please. Please burn that in your mind. That is just as biblical as the question James asked. Can faith save him? Not by works, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're not saved because of good works, you were created for good works. That's the difference. I'm saved because I'm doing good works. No, you were created for good works. Scripture says here, salvation is not by works. And so when people use James's question to try to make the case that works are required to be saved, I guarantee you that they adamantly refuse to acknowledge Ephesians 2. If you put this in their, faith, in their, in their face, you should put this in their faith. But if you put Ephesians 2 in their face, if they are hard-boiled works, salvation, they will deliberately disregard this passage. And when they do that, your side of the discussion's over, okay? You can't go no further than that when they don't look at this. So, they they will stick to the fact that works save, and they will not listen, they will not acknowledge what Ephesians 2 says. When the saved by works people try to argue for works and salvation, they will not listen to this passage in Ephesians 2 we have to remember, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. If God breathed out both James 2 and Ephesians 2, then you can't pit these two verses against each other. They have to line up. God spoke both of them. God has not erred against Himself. They have to line up. Works-based salvation, people. For those of you that think you're saved because you have to work hard enough, you are required. You are bound to read Ephesians 2 you have to do it not by works salvation is by according to Ephesians 2 salvation is by what it is by grace salvation is by grace but you get it through faith salvation is by grace but you get it through faith it's kind of like when you're really thirsty and you need to get a drink of water and you've got a cup and you've got a straw and water you drink the water through the straw. okay? You don't drink the straw. You drink the water, but you get the water through the straw. okay? You need grace, and that's what saves. You get it through faith, but you're not saved by the faith. You're saved by the grace. You just get it through the straw of faith. So you can't drink straws, but you can drink water. Now, salvation is by grace, not by works. And Ephesians says, and that grace is not of yourselves. Works is of yourselves. Salvation is by grace, not of yourselves. There's not one single thing whatsoever that you can ever do that saves you. Not one thing. And God structured it like this on purpose. First of all, because we sinned and ruined the whole thing. That's why he had to send Jesus to save us and give us that grace. But if we were able to do anything to save ourselves, then Jesus would not have had to die on the cross for us in the first place. It's not of yourselves. Jesus did that. But if we were able to perform our own salvation works, it would make us brag. We would brag about ourselves, and God opposes that. James just taught us that we cannot be partial with faith. And so you cannot be partial with faith. With James 2 against Ephesians 2, either. I'm glad he said, don't be partial. So, works people, you can't be partial. You have to read Ephesians 2, not by works. So, Ephesians 2 stands in the way of a works based salvation theology. So, how does Ephesians 2 line up with what James is asking us? What is James getting at when he asked us back in James chapter 2 what does it profit? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? Let's read on to get that answer because he's going to give it to us. Y'all were expecting me to do it. (laughs) I'm going to let James explain it, okay? James 2 and 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, What does it profit? Thus, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, once again, the works-based salvation folks will say, okay, see, you have to have works to be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about benefiting someone else's well-being. He's not talking salvation right here. He's talking about helping somebody. Let's keep it with what he's saying. You still got Ephesians 2 standing in the way of that anyway. Unless you remove Ephesians 2 from God's eternal word, you're stuck with it. Ephesians 2 is there. Can't go around it. Can't erase it. So it is written. So again, what is James saying here? What James is getting at is that the mere claim of having faith does not cut it. You can't just say you have it. Everybody says they have it. Most people will tell you, I've got faith. It's not enough to just say you have it. When people claim to have faith, but they don't use it with works, their faith is useless if it's not put together with work. Uh, Like his illustration, had just indicated to us. If somebody needs food and clothing, and you say, I hope the best for you, but you don't actually help them, then that is what useless faith looks like. Useless faith. And there's tons of people like this who claim to have faith, but they just won't use it. James is saying, what does it profit? What's the the point? Where's the gain in faith like this? What good is it? Now, if somebody is lacking the basic needs, they're starving, they don't have clothes, and here comes Mr. Faithful. I have faith. I have faith. (laughs) Mr. Faithful man. But all he does is tell them, hey, I wish you the best. And that guy's faith has zero love and zero compassion in it. No profit, no gain. What's the point? What's the point in it? James is trying to tell us that true faith, the faith of a believer in Messiah Jesus, those who now have a part in the righteousness of Christ, who have truly had their sins atoned for, those who truly have grace that saves them, but then it's through their faith where the fruits and the productive proof of them being truly saved is supposed to flow out. It's supposed to be visible. It's supposed to be a tangible, visible, seeable, is that a word, seeable? It is now. A seeable demonstration of faith and works put together. The proof of them actually for real being saved is going to flow out through visible, tangible works of righteousness that other people get to see and experience. They'll watch you do it. Everyone can say, well, I'm saved. Or, well, I have faith. But are they using it? Are they doing anything with it? If you're not, you're not demonstrating anything as dead faith. Not everybody can produce holy works of faith, proof that they belong to Jesus and are sealed by the Holy Spirit for salvation. What James is trying to do here is he's trying to expose those who merely claim to have good faith, but don't. He's trying to pull them apart and separate them from those who really do have a genuine, good, loving faith in God. Because those who truly are authentically saved will have a demonstrative faith that proves they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit and able to do these things. Whew, this is quite a chapter that makes me want to lisp. Because I'm trying to say faith and face and face, faceless and faithless and stuff, and I'm getting hung up. <laughs> Let's keep going. James is saying that someone who just claims to have faith, but if they're not producing anything, that's not faith at all. They're just bragging. They're bragging, trying to make themselves look good. It's a prideful thing. Oh, i got faith. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. So they're just bragging. Oh, I have such great faith. If they did, then where's the evidence of it? Where's the proof? We believers have to be doing something with it, something with our faith. Don't just sit around and claim to have it. People want authenticity. They want to see real stuff working. They don't want to hear talk. You know the saying, talk is cheap. Okay, people want to see it. James 2 and 18, he's going to address address some people that have objections and false claims. He says, But someone will say, this someone, this theoretical someone here, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. James says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. (laughs) Sick them, James! Mm -hmm. This is one of the most misunderstood passages, I think, in the Bible. (laughs) This one's rough, okay? James says, for example, someone says, you have faith, but I have works. So you have these two guys here, okay? And one says, "I have faith, but you have works. You've got one half, but I've got the other half." Okay, you got part, and I got part. So uh, I guess they're saying between the both of us, we could probably cover the whole spectrum or something. If I if I have faith, I'll find somebody with works. We'll make a good team. <laughs> it, that's kind of like that. Uh, that's kind of like that uh, couple that showed up to church and. The pastor said, I hadn't seen you in a while, and the the husband says, well, I keep five of the commandments, and my wife keeps the other five, so together we're pretty good. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to do the whole thing. James knew that some people actually thought like this about faith is why he even brought it up. Some people think like this. You have faith, but I have works. You've got faith. I got works. Man, let's hang out. (laughs) We'll get some good things done. James responds to this line of thinking with a challenge. He said, Show me. He says, Show me. You have faith and I have works. He goes, All right, show me your works. He challenged this guy to do something real. Show me your faith without works because it ain't going to work. It doesn't add up like that. That car outside has absolutely no gas in it. Crank it up and drive down the street. Let's see how far you get. Show me works without faith. It ain't going to go nowhere. So he steps into the challenge himself, and he says, I will show you my faith by my works. Let me give an example. I'm a ham radio operator. If you hadn't figured that out by now, I only talk about it all the time. And I know how to send Morse code with my hand on a telegraph key. And I also know how to receive and decipher Morse code in my head. And when somebody sends me Morse code, I can hear it, and I can write down the letters of what that person is saying. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me, oh, I can do Morse code, but they were just bragging about it. So I said, show me, show me you can do it. I would challenge them to prove it by having them decipher whatever I sent them. Apparently, they didn't think I knew code. They were just saying they knew it. And I said, okay, let me send you something and decipher it. Show me. And there's been times where they couldn't do it or they tried to find a way out of it because I knew they couldn't do it. (laughs) So I would put myself into the challenge like James did here. I'd put myself in the challenge and said, I will show you my ability by writing down whatever someone sends me. Then somebody sent me the code and I deciphered it in my head and I wrote down what they said, which proved that my claim was authentic, that it was real. Now, never in the history of radio ever that I have ever seen in the history of radio, has there ever been one guy that could only send and one guy that could only receive Morse code, that they both got together and said, hey, together we should be able to send and receive messages, so let's sit down together and do it. If one guy alone can't both send and receive, he's not going to get anything done. And that's how the messages are going to get through. Now, James is saying, if you don't have both, both faith and works together, then you can't accomplish anything productive. You have to have both. One guy can't say, well, I have works. James says, I will show you by. I will show you both. He told the guy, show me. It's not going to work. James says, I will show you both faith and works. These fakers that James is trying to call out, they have zero works, but they make these big claims. I have faith, but he discredits the works. While the other guy says, well, I have works, but discredits the faith. You have to have both. You can't tip the scale one way. It has to balance evenly. Don't just claim it. Show me. Y'all ever realize that the world out there is saying, show me? Believers and unbelievers alike, we're the Christians, we're the ones that have have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, they're looking at us all the time saying, show me. And if you can't show them, what good is it? What does it profit? You have to have works and faith or it profits nothing. James 2 and 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Ooh. Jill just went up your back. James is going after the cheap claims again. But I believe in God. Oh, everybody says that. Even the people living like the devil say that. I believe in God. James is saying, well, good for you. You see that? Good for you. You do well. Great. You believe in God. Good. Wonderful. Yay, you. But he says, even the demons believe and tremble. The demons believe and tremble. When I think of that, wow, if demons believe in God, then why can't they be saved? You ever think of that? If demons believe, as it says, why can't they be saved? You know why demons will never be saved? Because demons will never repent. Never. They will never turn from wickedness. But also, we need to understand that there is more than one kind of belief here. Did you, did you know that, that there's more than one kind of belief? If demons can believe and not be saved, then obviously there has to be more than one kind of belief. Whoa, 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 whoa Ray, hang on, what's going on here? You just threw me. <laughs> I know, it threw me too. When we think of the word belief, typically when I think of the word belief, I think of this automatic, um, picture comes into my mind of Holy Spirit activation power. That's what I think of. But there's another kind of belief. Dead belief. There's dead faith. James is talking about dead faith. There's dead belief. There's dead belief. Dead belief is when someone says God is out there, but they have never given their life to Him. They've never submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's dead belief, just like dead faith. A lot of people who are not saved, they know that there is a God out there somewhere, they believe there is a God out there somewhere. They that, that a Jesus went and died on the cross, that a Noah floated on a boat, a, J, a David killed a Goliath. That, yeah, they believe that stuff. They, they they know about it. But gospel belief is the kind of belief that is quickened and stimulated by the Holy Spirit of God. Very different. It's a belief that exceeds the shallow thinking that God just merely exists. It is a belief where the person who believes submits themselves to God's authority because they love Him and they want to know Him for all eternity. That's the belief we should be holding. So, do the do the demons believe in God? Yeah, they've seen Him before. They got kicked out of heaven. They, they've been there. Do they believe in God? Of course they do. They've been there where we're trying to get. But they'll never have the Holy Spirit love of God because they will never repent. They will never turn from wickedness. And so they can never come to the kind of belief that you and I get to have with God. And so that's why James said, you believe there's one God. Okay, great. But that's just like the demon's kind of belief. Who actually hate God? There's a belief in God where you actually hate God versus a belief in God where you love Him. Now, Matthew 3 and 8, Jesus had commanded us to produce works that are worthy of repentance. In other words, your life must show visible evidence that you have turned from sin. Now, I pray and I'm very concerned for all the people out there that I know who have told me that they have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior but they're still out there wallowing in the same sin that they were in before.
0: Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com.
1: Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be Set for Life.
0: You'll be set
1: for life. You'll have all you need. Just receive with a willing
0: heart. You'll be set